0: Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. In the name of Jesus, amen. Continuing multi-week study of Luke chapter 15, and we heard modern day retelling of the last of the three stories, and today we're going to kind of look at all three stories in Luke 15 together and see what we can learn, and I think this is the main thing that I've taken away is uh, that we are loved and that we're learning to be loving like, like the Father, the Father in the story. And I'll share the whole chapter of Luke 15 with you, which is our sermon text and our gospel text in a moment, but let me tell you about this first. Was the closest thing we had to a sports car. Cherry red 1995 Saturn SC2, five speed manual transmission, 124 horsepower, 1. 1.9 liter engine. Michael, I know, it's not all that impressive. He's a, he sales, sells cars. It'd be maybe a tough sell to someone who was looking for a, a, a sports car, but it's all we had. My dad bought it, partly because he likes buying cars, but also, he's sitting right here too, um, also because he wanted to teach my brother, Matt, and I how to drive a stick shift, how to drive a manual. I had my permit, my learner's permit, and so I would incessantly nag him, Dad, can I drive? Can I drive the Saturn, please, please? Can I drive? And there was a Friday night when he let me drive my friend Aaron home from our house to his. I was in the front seat, and my dad was in the passenger seat in the front, and Aaron was in the back. We were stopped at a red light and i could i could feel aaron laughing at me from the back seat See, I I was just, I'm still learning that the trick of uh, letting off the clutch just to the right and then letting on the gas so you you don't stall the car, which I had done five times already in the short trip from our house to the stoplight. And I could feel Aaron, he was quiet, but I could feel him laughing at me from the back as my dad's patience was being tested with every stall of the car. The light turns green. And I, I let the clutch up and, and the shutters and the stalls and, and turn, knowing that he's going to turn gonna the car all on things again he's gonna let the clutch up Monday and the shutters and stalls and now the people behind us are flashing us and with I our lights. And I think about that and experience. And I can hear Aaron starting to snigger and so I, 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 I turn it on again and I Mom let the clutch up and I slam down the gas, so gas and the car jolts forward and me and slams their heads against the car seats and my dad and my parents have taught you so patiently. My dad says, get out of the And you just didn't get it. And when you were rebellious and you didn't know out of of the get the car, get out of the, the car. Get out of the car. Think about the that they taught you. <gasps> We're in the middle of the street. What do you mean? Get, get out. You. So we open up the doors and we do it. If a fire no, parents really seats And drive the, really, the rest of the way. It's like a blockboard. Aaron's house, but he had enough. My dad had enough, and I'm not just now hanging father. my head in shame. Uh, but others, they, even in spite of those failures, they learn how to keep trying. and And they sometimes practice epic wisdom and patience and love. And in that office of being a mother or a father, they show us a glimpse into the heart of God, the Father. So Jesus tells three stories in Luke chapter 15. And he tells about a father who performs magnificently just as a father should he He lets his child make mistakes and lets them live with those mistakes. he He gives his child space and h- how the child can learn from that space. sometimes he he acts decisively and Strongly, sometimes he hangs back and lets the situation unfold. Sometimes he watches and waits from a distance and sometimes he pursues and runs and embraces. Sometimes he pleads with the child. Always, always he's, he loves. He's, he's loving constantly. Uh, whether the child is is trapped in rebellion or stuck in self-righteousness, always he loves and wants nothing more than to bring them all home. And Jesus tells a story about this father in Luke 15 because he needs an image. Well, rather, we need an image. We need to know what God is like. He shows us what God is true like. We have all kinds of ideas. You ask the average person on the street what do they think God is like and they'll, they'll tell you some things but we need to know for sure what he's like and Jesus shows us in this parable that he's like a father, who a wise, a powerful, a strong, a patient father who loves his children and just wants to bring them home. So to get us ready for that, that's the the main story in Luke 15. To get us ready for that story, Jesus tells us two other stories to kind of prime the pump, open up our ears. uh, And I'll share all three in a row with you here in a moment. But the first two show us what the Father's heart is like for his children when they're lost. And we see as the stories unfold that there are at least two ways of being lost, two kinds of lost children. There are lost children who know it, And there are lost children who don't know it. So the one who's lost and knows it is ashamed, is humiliated, is ridden with guilt, and believes for certain that that he is no longer worthy to be called God's son, that she is no longer worthy to be called God's daughter. That's the person who's lost and they know it. There's another kind of person though who's lost and doesn't know it. This is the kind of person who who gets a little angry and bitter (laughs) that the fact that God, that that good things would come to people who haven't worked for them. You know, you work hard at, at, at what you have. You have nice things and you've worked hard for them and sometimes we see good things come, God's blessings, God's favor comes to people who haven't worked for them people who haven't put in the time like you put in the time and it, and it, makes, it makes us mad and that's the character, that's the profile of the child who's lost and doesn't know it. This, this child doesn't realize that they need to repent. See, repentance, it's a loaded word. It, Jesus used this word, it just means to, turn, to realize, hey, I'm going in the wrong direction and I need to turn around. And it's not, a, sometimes Christians use it as a, as a one-time event, like oh, I repented back then, back when I was in college and I went through that phase and I was really bad, but now I repented and now I'm on the straight and narrow. No, uh, repentance is a way of life. Martin Luther said that, the first of the 95 theses, that when our Lord Jesus Christ called us to repent, he, he willed that the whole life of a Christian is one of turning back to the Father, repenting. And that's the thing about the child that doesn't know they're lost, is they don't think they have any need to turn. So think about where you are in that spectrum. And you've probably been on both sides of it. But maybe today you are feeling lost and you know it. So let's just, I just want you to pause. Everyone pause. Uh, close your eyes. Bow your heads. Humor me. Just do this. And I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but if you feel like you, you're lost and you know it, then I invite you silently uh, you don't have to say it out loud. Just silently, I want you to talk to your father. He's here. He can he can hear you. Uh, talk to him in your heart. Say something like, "Father, I'm ashamed. I hate what I've done. I hate who I am. I want to hide. I'm not worthy to be called your son." I'm not worthy to be called your daughter. I want to come home to you, but I don't know how. Now you can keep your head bowed and and, uh, stay in that prayerful position, but I want you to think now, if if that prayer doesn't resonate with you, um, it could be that you're lost and you don't know it. So just stay in that prayerful position. If, if, if this sounds right, if th- I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I, if this sounds right, I want you to pray this silently. Father, I don't understand your love. I'm trying to do the right things, but I think I might be lost. You can stay in that prayerful position as you listen now. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. The tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were grumbling saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country? and go after the lost one until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And going home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep! I tell you, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who practices repentance. Let me pause right there. Jesus uses a present active verb, practices repentance, an ongoing habit, a lifestyle, practices repentance. There is more joy in heaven, he says, over one sinner who practices repentance than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 coins and she loses one of them, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search for it carefully until she finds it and when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who practices repentance. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property, he divided his livelihood between them. Not long after that, the younger son gathered together all that he had and set out for a distant country where he squandered, where he wasted all his wealth on wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a famine and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to work in the fields feeding pigs. And he longed to fill his belly with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Yet here I am starving to death. I will go and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And getting up, He went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and moved with deep, heartfelt compassion. Getting up and running to him He fell upon him and embraced him And kissed him And the son said to the father Father I have sinned against heaven and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son And the father said to the servants Go Get the best robe and put it on him Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Go kill the fattened calf. Let's have a feast to celebrate because this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older brother was in the fields. And coming back up to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he asked one of the servants, what is going on? And the servant said, your brother's come back. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And he began to be very angry, angry, and he refused to go in. And so the father came out and pleaded with him, that he would come in. And he said, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you. And you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. And this son of yours who wastes your property on prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father said, "My child, my child. you are always with me. Everything I have is yours." And it was necessary for us to celebrate, because this brother of yours was dead. And now he's alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Where do you see yourself in that parable? Are you more like the younger? You're ashamed and you don't even know if it's possible that you could actually be a son or a daughter of God? Are you like the elder? And you're just irritated that good things would come to people who haven't worked for them, haven't earned them, haven't deserved them, and not only that, sometimes you work and nothing good comes to you. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. There's other characters in the story. Maybe, maybe at this point in your life, you're more like those servants. They kinda have a a, a subdued role in the narrative and the parable. Maybe you're just waiting for instructions from the father, from the master, as to what small thing that you can do to bring the lost ones home to welcome them home, to celebrate their homecoming. Where are you in the story? Maybe you you play all three roles, but wherever you are in the story, you need to know that because of Jesus, not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, not because you work for it, because of Jesus, you are a beloved daughter of God, a beloved son of God, and because you didn't earn it, because you didn't work for it, that means that none of none of those people, no one that you meet, nothing that happens to you, nothing can take that from you. You're always with him. He's always with you. Everything he has is yours. It was the closest thing. We had to a sports car. And we had it for less than a year because my brother totaled it. He'd had his driver's license for about two years, and we were visiting my aunt and uncle in rural Illinois. They live out in the country, and some of the roads are paved, some are gravel. And because, you know, when you get your kid gets your driver's license— you sent him to the store to get pick up some milk and bread and eggs. And so they sent Matt to the store. And as he was driving back, he must have been driving like he was Lightning McQueen in the piston cup because when the tires hit that patch of gravel at 65 miles an hour, the back end started to spin. And Matt overcorrected and it spinned the other way And then he went straight into the plowed cornfield. And when the car hit the ditch, the momentum of the impact sent the trunk end over the hood end and the car began to roll and to roll and to roll. And by some sheer, undeserved act of God, Matt survived. (laughs) And he climbed out of the car in the cornfield and walked to my aunt and uncle's house. This is a day without cell phones. And he tells mom and dad what happened. And they were mad, as you can can imagine. They were upset. And then we went to the cornfield and saw the car. And they saw the crumpled mess of metal and glass. And they thanked God that he was alive. Meanwhile, I'm sitting on the front porch of my aunt and uncle's house and I am pissed off. Yeah, I got to say it that strongly. Thinking about my idiot brother Matt who wrecked my car. I was just getting good at driving that car. Now I'm never going to be able to drive it with my friends and show them that I know how to work the gears. And my dad comes out to me and maybe he thought I was so shook up about that my brother almost died and he wanted to check on me and I threw a fit about the car. And I don't remember exactly what I said and dad, you probably don't remember what I said, but I think it sounded something like this. You hardly ever let me drive that car. And all these months, I've been slaving to learn how to shift the gears. And this son of yours goes out and totals it in a cornfield and all you can talk about is how happy you are that he's okay. Well, what about the car? Something like that. And he said, Michael, it's just a car. It's only a car. I want to go a little deeper now. What is your it's only? What is something that's keeping you from loving someone who doesn't deserve to be loved? What is keeping you from loving someone who hasn't worked for it, hasn't earned it? What is it? What's your it's only? Mine was a car at that moment. What's yours? You probably got one. It's only a lawn, it's only a building. It's only the opinion of small people. What is it that's keeping you from loving people who don't deserve to be loved? It's only your ego. It's only your desire to be in control. It's only this mortal life. Why he's so clingy to these things? your father says. Everything I have is yours. You are always with me. So um, I think it took me a, a while to calm down. But eventually my dad, he talked me through it. and I don't know if it was a couple hours or a couple days or a couple years, but I eventually saw how much of a fool and how ridiculous I was acting uh, and how shameful I was acting! And then they just kept loving me. And one day we got a new car, and it was a, it was a manual transmission. And and they just gave it to me. It was just a gift. And, and this is how it works in family. You just keep sticking with each other. You just keep loving the unlovable, and you love them in the way they need to be loved. And I got a, I got a new car, a 1984 Chevy Cavalier that he found in a junkyard for $500, rusted out. See, this is what parents can do. They've got unlimited resources. They can just, they can just give even when you don't deserve it. And, and, you know, you learn you don't give sports cars to 16-year-old kids. You give them 1984 Chevy Cavaliers. How is it, how, how can we we poor, miserable sinners who get so spun up over silly things, it's only, uh, and you fill in the blanks, how can we come to love like the Father loves, love people who don't deserve it? It's, it's only when you're touched by the love of the Father. Only when you experience this love in a family, a church family, only when you rest in his presence and his promise, hey, hey, everything I have is yours. You're always with me. I'm always, everything I am is yours. In the name of Jesus, amen.